Are we ready to open next month? I think so. You think so? Well, it's complicated. Fire protection, first aid supplies, uniforms, safety training, mat services. Oh, and restroom supplies. So uncomplicated. Call Sent Us. They'll handle all of it. Wow. One company can handle all that? That's not very complicated. So, you'll be ready? Oh, we'll be ready. Oh, I'm ready! Learn how CentOS can help you get ready for the workday. Visit CentOS.com. You are Locked On Eagles, your daily podcast on the Philadelphia Eagles. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Welcome to Locked On Eagles, your daily source for the best Philadelphia Eagles news and analysis. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my work at Breaking Football, and you can find me on Twitter at Michael J. Kist. That's K-I-S-T, like Sun Kist. I'm here with my co-host, Benjamin Solak of Bleeding Green Nation and NDT Scouting. You can follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Every day is a great day to be alive, Mike. Thanks for asking, man. Big news today. Or as we record this, big news yesterday for those who are listening, Matt Tobin, our offensive tackle, was just traded to the Seattle Seahawks for a fifth. Now, this should highlight the reason that trade rumors permeate this show, and it's because Howie is a devious opportunist, right? So we, we talked about it when Raekwon McMillan went down for the Dolphins in regards to possibly trading Michael Kendricks. Now you see George Fant go down the offensive tackle for the Seahawks and how he is right there, right on the Seahawks doorstep with a brochure in hand and a vacuum cleaner that's whisper quiet and a steak knife set up. So there is a reason to be concerned about the offensive tackle depth and we can talk about that. But Ben, how he straight up flim flammed, bamboozled, swindled, rooked however you want to say it he duped the seahawks am i correct in saying that i mean i love this image of of howie roseman the used car salesman there's nothing gonna stick in my mind for a while now it's good stuff he's a vacuum cleaner salesman door-to-door style man he kicks it old school i mean this he, he's really shown a knack for this over the past couple of seasons in the sense that he identifies you know other teams needs and he says listen we have somebody who may be of interest to you and then he negotiates a pretty good deal like there were i saw some folks that were putting this this trade in perspective with the alan barber trade because uh i believe we only received a conditional seventh from denver for for alan barber i have no idea how to pronounce his last name to be honest i'm gonna call him alan and and the difference there being that that uh barber was 33 i think it was when he was traded versus tobin who's 27 now but the fact that so so often how he's able to move around these depth pieces and, and, and reaccumulate draft capital after he you know had to give up so much draft capital for for the Carson Wentz trade and after he had to give up uh, capital for the Darby trade now if you're looking at the picks that we have left uh, in 2018 you're looking at the first overall the first round pick excuse me and then you've got uh, three fourths you have our own pick uh, the pick from the Bradford trade with the Vikings from from last season. And then you have the fourth that's currently from the Eric Rowe trade. Now, that can become a third in the event that Eric Rowe plays at least 50% of the Patriots' defensive snaps, which, knowing Belichick, I don't think it's going to happen. Looking at their cornerback depth, I also don't think it's going to happen, but, you know, you never know what occurs there. Uh, and then you've got the fifth for the Eagles' own pick, the fifth now from this Tobin trade, and then the Eagles' sixth, obviously the seventh, went over to Seattle as part of the trade. You've got the ability now to definitely move up at least into the third round. Maybe you don't, you can't move up into the second yet, but he's shown this ability to just recoup draft draft value after moving it away and, and mitigate the losses necessary that, that were necessitated by these trades. It's very impressive stuff, and it's the Howie Roseman that we know and we love here in Philadelphia. Yeah, so I love the value that we got there. Uh, we gave them a seventh. We get the fifth round pick from the Seahawks. Props to 
Howie on getting that done and being the fantasy football vulture equivalent of GM that he is. And Ben, question for you. I mentioned it before, the offensive tackle depth possibly being a concern. I think it is a concern. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, we've alluded to offensive tackle being a sneaky need for this team before the Matt Tobin trade. It is hopefully Mm. less sneaky now. I mean, you're looking at a place where you've got Jason Peters and Lane Johnson as your starters, and we've already talked about Peters' age, and we've talked about Johnson's history with suspensions, so we don't need to go into that in depth. But right now, you're looking at your backups as a fifth rounder from last season, who it's not like he came out during his start during his starting reps when when Johnson was suspended. It's not like he came out and then blew the roof off the place. You know, he still struggled a little bit. And your other backup is an ex tight end. And, and and Dylan Gordon, sure, it seems like they've got a ton of faith in him. I would love to see that on the field because I don't know about you. I haven't gone particularly in-depth on the Eagles offensive line in the preseason, but I've seen nothing yet from Dylan Gordon to make me think, yeah, uh, backup, that's not going to be a problem. And then behind, you've got uh, Victor Salako, who is an Oklahoma State. He used to be a UAB, the Birmingham program, before it shut down. And then he came out as an undrafted free agent out of Oklahoma State. And he's got some some nice tools, some nice technique, but his physical upside is, is, is very, very limited, and there's concern there. And then your other third-string offensive tackle is Taylor Hart, who was a defensive tackle at this time last year. Like, this is not a good situation to be in, especially if we're going to talk, as we do, about saying, oh, for the first three uh, weeks of the year, Wentz was the number one rated quarterback by Pro Football Focus, and then we always bring up the fact that that's when Johnson's suspension started, and then mm-hmm. after that, he was, you know, the worst quarterback for Pro Football Focus. So if we're going to use that stat and make that correlation, well, then somebody's got to start shoring up this offensive tackle depth because it's an issue. Yeah, one thing that you can count on us, me and Ben are big draft guys, and we're going to talk about some draft picks later on, but throughout the year, we're going to be watching college football, and I guarantee you we are going to have a special eye towards the offensive tackles in this class. I just watched this kid, Martinez Rankins. I have no idea if I'm saying his name correctly. Martinez, Martinez, whatever. (laughs) But he's an offensive tackle, and he... He, he, he's a very talented man. I believe he's uh, old Mississippi State, not Ole Miss. Mississippi State was, was his school. And, and, and he definitely looks like he could be that borderline end of the first, beginning of the second. Maybe we're drafting the end of the first, God willing. But he, he's definitely somebody who I like in that back half of the first round. Yeah, man, we do this stuff year-round, guys. So look forward to some of our draft breakdowns. They are gonna it's be, unhealthy. It's unhealthy. Yeah, and we are going to have some serious arguments. We tend to agree, but when it comes to the draft, man, it's no holds barred. So we are going to move on to our next topic. One of the things we kind of want to do throughout this week is talk about how the preseason is going for the other teams in our division because it's equally important that they do terribly as we do all right as we move through this process. We're going to talk about the Washington Redskins since we have two games of them on tape. Ben has been breaking down their tape. What you think about their performance so far this preseason, Ben? Encouraging if you're an Eagle fan. Not encouraging if you are a Redskins fan, to be honest. They struggled mightily against uh, the Packers in Week 2 and against Baltimore in Week 1. It, w- it wasn't much prettier. Um, First thing that you notice is actually a, l- a lot of the similar issues that the Eagles are having in the sense that their run game is stagnant. Their committee is confusing. Their line is not generating a lot of push that you'd anticipate because they've got some significant investments in that line as far as the ways of, you know, Brandon Scherf goes, uh, you know, playing Trent Williams, Morgan Moses as two wonderful tackles. And so there's been a lot to figure out there. Rob Kelly has not, he's looked ugly, ugly. Um, I'm pretty sure he only had like nine yards on eight carries, nine yards on nine carries against the Ravens, something like that. You've got Chris mm-hmm. Thompson behind him who's, 
you know, more of a scat back, sort of a change of pace sort of guy. He doesn't really have the, the size to be a full workhorse back. You've got Samaj P. Ryan, who was their fourth round selection, who uh, I don't know about you, Mike, coming into the process. I really loved P. Ryan. I thought he was a, he, he was a real between-the-tackles bruiser. He had a better game in the second week against Baltimore, but the, or excuse me, against the Packers, but that first week against Baltimore was, was real, real ugly. And then you've got Matt Jones, who's just... Stuck at the bottom of this depth chart, asked to be released, got new representation. The The Redskins are neither, you know, uh, uh, releasing him, cutting him, and letting him have an opportunity elsewhere, nor are they even showcasing him during their preseason games and giving him the opportunity to put good enough tape out there that somebody else might become interested in him. I have no idea what the plan is with Matt Jones. They don't seem to want to use him or try to get anything for him or release him. He's just sitting on the depth chart right now, taking up a spot in the 90-man roster. So who knows what's going to happen there. And going back to Pirine, I really did like him in the process. The problem for me was, as you looked at his tape last year, he was dealing with an ankle sprain that took away some of his explosiveness, and he wasn't you know, the most fleet-of-foot guy to begin with. He's more of a bowling ball bruiser type, but if you go back to his 2015 tape, that's where I was really impressed. Now, Oklahoma sees a lot of light boxes, okay, uh, which is really beneficial to their running backs, but I think I saw enough from, from P. Ryan with the vision, what he can do as a pass catcher as well, that I think he can translate as an NFL starter and really lean on teams later on in games. So that is something, for a fourth-round pick, I think it's fantastic value, number one. Uh, number two, if you don't know what you're going to do with Matt Jones, bringing him, bringing Pirine in as competition is another smart move as well. Look, overall, I thought their draft class was pretty doggone nice. You can start it with the first pick that they had with pick 17 in the first round, Jonathan Allen, the defensive lineman out of Alabama. Arthritic shoulder possibilities aside, uh, this guy just seemed like a ready-made pro. Uh, what do you think about him, Ben? No, absolutely. Jonathan Allen, uh, such an interesting look coming into the process because there was so much technical refinement there, uh, a great snap anticipation, excellent ability to disrupt in the backfield, just a ton of stuff that you wanted to see. But then there was a question about uh, a little bit of a tweener nature, not really sure exactly where he would fit, what his size lent him to. And then also, like you said, the shoulder. Once he landed where he landed in Washington with new defensive line coach Jim Tom Sula, I think, you know, from an evaluator standpoint, there was just this sigh of relief like, oh, that's that's good. You know, that's wonderful for uh, for Jonathan Allen. Tom Sula will really know how, how to elicit his best traits and get the best out of him. From an Eagles fan perspective, you don't like it as much. But from an evaluator, you're really happy to see Allen lend up there. And, and he had a sack, I believe it was against the Packers. And, and you could just see the classic uh, the classic Jonathan Allen, you know, the hallmarks. Just incredible effort, a great motor, nice hand technique, just a relentless pass rusher in the interior. And, 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 and Tom Sula is getting production out of players that you wouldn't expect him to otherwise. Phil Taylor was is, is, is looking like he's going to be their starting nose tackle. He was uh, a free agent from Denver, I believe it was, last year. And he didn't look too good, you know, kind of just like a street guy that Tom Sula brought in. But the hand technique is improved and, and the quickness off the snap is improved. Oh, that entire front seven, they brought in Zach Brown, uh, the linebacker out of Buffalo. He's got incredible range, man. I knew Brown had range. And then I was watching tape and mother of Pearl, the kid can fly. I mean, he's everywhere. Ryan Anderson was their second round selection, another Alabama defender, another guy with really great technical polish who a lot of people said, okay, I don't know, is he a 3-4 is he a, a outside linebacker? You know, is he a 
4-3. Sam, is he a 4-3 Will? What is it? He's come in, and he's uh, – I was a big Ryan Anderson fan coming in, so this is a moment of validation for me. But just his polish, his ability to set the edge against the run, his ability to to, to generate a, a rush, at least generate a, generate a pressure and get that, that, that pressure on the back shoulder of the quarterback, making him step up into the teeth of the defensive line. He's just such a detailed player, and he's really shined in their first two games. That front seven in Washington looks improved, and I think a lot of the credit has to go – you know, to to the front office for bringing in, uh, you know, those players. You can't really credit a GM because they don't have one. But you know, <laughs> a lot of the credit has to go to Tom Sula as well because he's really done marvelous work with the pieces he has there. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. For someone I trust to identify defensive line talent, guys that can get to the passer, it would be Tom Sula. I really liked him. I thought he got a raw deal in San Francisco with the way things were, were set up there. You know, now he's doing what he's best at. And, you know, with Ryan Anderson, like you said, just he's just a, just a solid guy, man. Uses his leverage well in all facets of the game. I thought it might have been, it was a little bit higher than I had him. I think you were higher on Anderson than I was. I had him more of as like a third round guy. But look, he's got the polish, he's got the technique, and I think Tom Solo will get a lot out of him. And then you get to the third round, a guy that a lot of people thought wasn't going to last past the top 50. I remember Daniel Jeremiah saying at the Shrine game that Fabian Moreau was a top 50 pick. Then, you know, he had that injury when he was bench pressing and his stock kind of fell a little bit. But, I mean, he just showed up in the special uh, in special teams in this last game and made a couple really nice plays. Uh, one where he forced a fumble and then uh, only allowed a, a yard on a punt return where he was able to get down there and make a nice tackle. Uh, had a couple completions on him, but overall, you know, he just, you could see the explosion in his game. I really liked Moreau coming out. I liked his length. Uh, I liked him at the catch point. He was He's real pesky. He's a real physical guy. What did you think about Moreau coming out? very much agree with your evaluation there of his past performance. I had Moreau a little bit lower than most folks did. I did like him as kind of that late second, early third round guy where Washington ended up grabbing him. I believe it was at 81 overall. Yeah, 81 overall. Uh, kind of a similar situation, however, to, to our Sidney Jones pick at 43 in the sense that they were bringing in a corner who was going to come in a training camp injured, who wasn't necessarily going to get those, those educational reps in the beginning of his rookie season. But eventually they anticipated uh, production out of him. And now if you take a look at the depth chart for the Redskins looking in their secondary, still a little bit of issues at safety if you're asking me. Anytime you have DJ Swearinger starting, I'm pretty sure DJ Swearinger is roughly 45 years old, so that's no good. And then Sua Cravens as their strong safety, he hasn't really panned out the way I think they hoped. I don't know if he's, he's as traditional of a safety, if you can expect really safety things from him. He's much more of a hybrid. But looking at Josh Norman, Bashad Breland, uh, D'Angelo Hall, and Fabian Moreau as four of your potential starting corners. You know, that's assuming that Moreau comes healthy. That's assuming that D'Angelo Hall comes healthy off of the uh, the pop list. Those are some good, doggone good corners. That's that that's a nice secondary. They can match up with definitely any set of wide receivers, if you ask me. I'm a big Breland fan. I always have been. Josh Norman, I think, is a little bit overrated, but he's still one of the top-tier corners in the NFL. And so I, I liked Moreau coming out of college. I liked his physicality. I love him as kind of that third corner you can get in there. Really, I would prefer they put him on the boundary and probably kick Breland in if they're running you know, four wide receiver sets and they're trying to match up man-on-man. But you can see that the, the Redskins are kind of setting up these defensive pieces in a way that's very positive. 
Yeah, and with that, you talked about the safety depth in the fourth round. They picked up Monte Nicholson from Michigan State. This was a guy when I was watching Malik McDowell, the defensive lineman that the Seattle Seahawks picked up and uh, got in a crazy ATV accident and is probably not going to play this year. But when I was watching McDowell, I kept watching Nicholson flash, and I, and I was asking people, I'm like, have any of you seen this guy? Is this guy draftable? Is it worth my time to watch this guy? Because he keeps flashing kind of thing, you know what I mean? And he ended up getting drafted in the fourth round, and I thought, you know, he's solid tackler. I don't know about him in, in coverage so much, but as a box player, I really like his upside there. Uh, he's another guy that is coming off of surgery, and that seemed to be the theme of the Redskins' early portion of the draft is guys with either medical concerns or injuries, in there, and they're taking a risk on them. And you can do that when you have the amount of picks they had. So let's see, they had their first, their second, a third, two-fourths, a fifth, two-sixths, and two-sevenths. So you can take those risks when you have that amount of picks. So I kind of like what they did there as well. Did you watch much Nicholson coming out in the process? Not particularly. I, I took a couple ganders at him. He His athleticism was, was pretty impressive. He had a nice combine. He showed up pretty well. But I didn't see too much of it on tape. He didn't flash for me the way that he flashed for you when I was watching you know McDowell tape or Riley Bolo tape or anything like that. Uh, yeah, he's a guy that you bring in. You know, they brought they got Nicholson in, who's a lot more traditional of your of your strong safety sort of a look. And then you've also got coming in uh, Josh Harvey Clemens. I was big on Harvey Clemens coming out of Louisville. He played safety in college, but that's, that is a big boy. And they've been moving him, and they gave him some reps with the second and the third team at inside linebacker. Sweet Christmas, because the kid the kid's big, but he can fly. He can move, especially when he's coming downhill. He comes down screaming. He had, I think it was six solo tackles was the stat. I was checking it out. Six solo tackles in that game, simply because he was shooting gaps like there was no tomorrow. He was a lot of fun to watch, and he definitely, you know, I had him up high. I had him as a fourth round grade, and they brought him in the seventh. So I got a lot resting on Harvey Clemens' performance, and that was impressive work for him. Yeah, I had Josh Harvey Clements in the fourth round as well. And you look at what they're doing with their safeties and what the Packers have done with their safeties, bringing in Josh Jones, having Morgan Burnett, you know, and you're you're already seeing Harvey Clemens getting rep at inside linebacker. It's becoming in vogue to have this kind of nitro package on your defense where you can match up a little bit better with tight ends and still bring some run support because these guys can run and fly to the ball. So yeah, I'm with you. I was a big Harvey Clemens guy compared to other people, most likely. And then, you know, we go to their fifth round pick, they... Went offense with Jeremy Sprinkle, the big tight end out of Arkansas. I saw him as uh, an inline guy that can kind of complement Jordan Reed. How did you feel about him? Oh, Sprinkle was one of my stands over the season, man. I'm upset that you don't remember. Sprinkle was my boy. I loved watching Jeremy Sprinkle. Number one, for the reason to which you alluded, he was like, you know, you, you've got this uh, this draft that was full of these these flex-wise. You know, you've got Njoku, and you've got Evan Ingram, who, you know, I'd categorize as a wide receiver by the end of it. Uh, Gerald Ingrid, or, or Ger- yeah, Gerald, uh, what was his last name? Everett, there it is, Gerald Everett, uh, Jonu Smith, you know, a lot of these flex guys. And then you stick in Jeremy Sprinkle, who can stay in line. He's got the mass that, that allows him to block, and he'll be a presence in the run game. And then you watch him. He's a very short-handed receiver. He wasn't asked to run very detailed routes. He doesn't have extreme quickness, but he has build-up speed so he can stretch the field well down the seam. And he has incredibly reliable hands, even away from his frame. And you look at him and you just say, you, you, you immediately think of like Spider 2 Y Banana nonsense. You think about, you know... In the red zone, two, three tight end sets. You put Fat Rob back there, and you 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 know that if you run play action, you're going to have a mismatch with Jeremy Sprinkle, and up against whomever he is, you're going to have a mismatch. And I really, really love that prospect from Sprinkle. I understand the concerns about his quickness and about the fact that he wasn't really asked to run any 
breaking routes whatsoever. But in my opinion, you're not drafting him to do that. And and for a fifth round pick, I think he, he can easily be tight end two in the event that Vernon Davis leaves, that Niles Paul, that, that, that Jeremy Sprinkle jumps Niles Paul on the depth chart. I think Sprinkle's an easy tight end two, and he's a great red zone threat, especially for somebody like Cousins. Cousins can has the accuracy where he can put the ball somewhere only Sprinkle can get it. And if it's somewhere Sprinkle can get it, he's going to go get the football. Yeah, and we're going to move right on to their six-round picks. We were talking offensive weapons, so I'm going to skip Chase Rollier, the uh, center from Wyoming, and I'm going to go to Robert Davis, the six foot three, two 219-pound wide receiver from Georgia State, a developmental guy, but he ran 4-4-4, and he jumped 41 inches at the combine. Did you do any work on Robert Davis? Because he wasn't really on my radar during the process. Uh, no, I did not do any work on Robert Davis during the process. After his combine, you can be dang sure that I went and checked out who Robert Davis was. <laughs> and yeah, you saw a guy who who kind of just smoked competition, you know, obviously working with a lower level of competition, has the ability to fly down the field. Not much more uh, to see there if you're asking me, but you can understand why after he jumps 41 inches, you're going to bring him in. Yeah, I actually have a question for you, Mike, because we didn't communicate about this because we weren't talking at this time. How did you feel about Josh Doxson coming out of TCU? I really like Doxson. I was really, really high on Doxson. He seemed like you're sort of a player. That's why I'm asking. Yeah, you, well, you know, I'm, I was a big Chris Godwin guy. As you know, he was my wide receiver, too. And Josh Doxson had a lot of the same abilities that Chris, Chris Godwin had. So I could see why you would make that parallel at the catch point. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. Uh, look. Doxon has a lot of pieces, and if he can stay healthy and get on the field for the Redskins, him paired with Terrell Pryor is a problem. I, I, I won't, even, won't even lie about that, and that's why it's so important that the Eagles get those cornerbacks like, like we got Darby because otherwise we, can't, we just can't compete. Yeah, with, J, with Jameson Crowder in the slot as well, that kid out of Duke, who's yeah. he's, 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 he's what Cole Beasley was two years ago. Remember when Cole Beasley was like the hipster guy to like? You know, like, yeah. well, Cole Beasley's underrated. He's such a great slot receiver. Now he's, you know, gassed. Jameson Crowder's in the, the 2017 Cole Beasley in that. Just technically refined, sure-handed, great routes. Love to watch. But, yeah, Doxon, uh, he, he's back on the field. Only had a couple of routes ran, I think, during the preseason game. They're definitely trying to ease him back into it. And obviously, with his health history, you want to do so. Mm. Uh, still a little bit buried in the depth chart. He's behind Ryan Grant right now, which I think Doxon has the talent to pass him. He just needs to put it on the field for a considerable period of time. But no, I think when we talk about Kirk Cousins and what he may potentially be doing after this season and the spectacular bungling that has been Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins and his contract in Washington, you have to look at the weapons that he has this season and say, man, Cousins can go get himself a payday somewhere. If he, with Terrell Pryor, Jameson Crowder, Jordan Reed, and, and Josh Doxson, you're slinging the football. Those are four, you know, three wide receivers and a tight end. You can put up those pass, pass catchers against most sets of weapons in the league and you'll have yourself a conversation. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see with Doxon how they bring him along and if he can pass Ryan Grant on the depth chart. Ryan Grant played 163 special team snaps last year, so he brings value to him in that way as well. They've got some good depth if they can get their guys healthy. Man, I can't believe I didn't mention Crowder on the first on the first go round because shame on you. Shame on you. I'm a giant I'm a <laughs> I hate saying this because it's an Eagles podcast, uh, Eagles fans, close your ears for a second because Crowder is always open. I absolutely love his game, man. He is so hard to cover in the slot. Like you said, like Cole Beasley gets open, that's, that's the same thing. And, and Oh, my God. And, and we're going to talk about the Cowboys later this week with Cole Beasley and Ryan Switzer because I was very upset when they got Ryan Switzer to the point of being inconsolable, to the point where I just buried myself in Derek Barnett tape while I was in Philadelphia in my hotel room. I couldn't stand to be around the atmosphere after the Cowboys got Ryan Switzer. But we will get into that later on this week. 
Ben, thank you so much, man. You got anything else for me today? Uh, not too much that I can think of. If you're down to see a Michael Kiss breakdown, make sure you tune in on Monday when we release the Cowboys podcast and you'll hear him weep bitter <laughs> tears about Ryan Switzer in the in the blue with the star on his helmet. I am going to have a rant on that and I and I'm gonna have real tears, man. Real it's tears. Be real tears Grown on man this tears. podcast. <laughs> so keep it locked on here on Locked On Eagles if you want to hear Michael Kiss cry. Fly Eagles fly. You are Locked On Eagles, your daily Philadelphia Eagles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst.